हेलो वाहेगुरु जी का खालसा वाहेगुरु जी की फतेह वाहेगुरु जी की फतेह 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 सो नाउ टुडेस टॉपिक वाज गोइंग टू बी अ नेचुरल प्रोग्रेशन फ्रॉम व्हाट वी हैड लास्ट टाइम ऑन द यू नो अकाली दल अकाली लहर व्हिच स्टार्टेड इन द पंजाब नाउ फ्रॉम देयर ऑन इट वाज ओनली नेचुरल दैट वी डिस्कस अ स्प्लिंटर मूवमेंट व्हिच एक्चुअली केम टू इक्लिप्स द ओरिजिनल अकालीज एंड दैट वाज द बब्बर अकाली मूवमेंट the original kali's babrakal movement starting in the year 1921 a natural progression true natural progression now if you look at the uh, cid extracts from that time uh, mr d petre the assistant director of criminal intelligence he actually testifies to the fact that the kali's wanted to reestablish sikh rule so now how all this worked out was when we had the gadar party in um the united states they wanted to establish a reestablish an independent punjab under sikh control and have uh, portions of india set aside for the hindus and the muslims and the babbar kalis became pretty uh, prominent for one of their uh, main things which was their uh, their ability to uh, use literature to great effect in uh, rousing the people of the punjab towards them and what they wanted to do now again the petre confirms this is that the babbar kalis envisioned uh the reestablishment of sikh rule in punjab and an independent india so you could see that down here the uh what's been hidden is only being revealed today from authentic uh documents and contemporary manuscripts is that they never envisioned sikhs being a part of greater india but rather that the sikhs empire sikhs sovereignty would be restored while india was you know left somewhere else Well, uh we we have to remember that uh the shift from re-establishing Khalsa Raj Sarkar Khalsa or a, a sovereign independent Sikh state to and the shift towards uh an independent Bharat Mata we we have to talk about this yes we do now if you look at the origins of the babbar kalis lots of uh, incidents led to that there was the komagata maru there was you know sakanankana So what happens is that the Sikhs at the time were in the habit of doing Sikh educational conferences. Now Professor Gurmukh Singh had pretty much established these and the way it went was that the British had to be defeated on their own ground but that was also uh, evidential to all the Sikhs concerned that you know the British could not be defeated you know worldwide. They would leave a lasting impact and one of the uh, one of the elements of that lasting impact would be English education. So these sikh educational conferences were uh, oriented towards you know producing sikh leaders in the english system as well as the indian system but while preserving you know sikh and sikh heritage and not allowing it to be uh, swamped out by you know what is a uh, casually called you know progressiveness or modernization so in the sikh educational conference in hasharpur march 1921 that's when the babbars were formed and uh, just to share the fact first babbar is from perso arabic meaning tiger while akali obviously means immortal or deathless and while this movement carried guns it's made itself uh, it sort of centered itself on the jathas of you know pre nawab kapoor singh days where they used to stay chakravarti run from one end, end to another avenging injustices on sikhs and also you know providing a framework for the development of sikh sovereignty Yep and uh, a minor note here Yep the word babar comes from Algerian Arabic there used to be a subspecies of lion called the berber lion which was the largest 
cats do ever exist uh, in in recent times ah okay yep so there there is a a a, a tribe of people called berber still in algeria okay yep yep yeah, i didn't know that i was actually going off a book but anyhow so what's happened is that this march 1921 conference goes ahead and down here we have many sikh leaders from you know all over india participating there are some younger ones now that's also interesting that the term uh, khalistan was actually first mentioned by the babbers yes it was it was and they envisioned a separate sikh state because i believe by this time mahatma gandhi had uh, released a statement that the individuals who got killed at bajbaj harbor by you know the police firing on those uh, people deported from canada uh, predominantly punjabis and sikhs they deserved it so the babbar sort of had an idea where things were going to go so by august 1922 this uh, babbar kali jatha was officially you know I guess solidified. Now, these were ex-Gadarites, ex-soldiers, and others who were wanted for seditious activities against the British Empire, and they were actually military trained as well. So they utilized their uh, old military contacts, serving military contacts, to uh, acquire arms, firearms, and they set up camps to start training themselves against, you know, the contemporary colonial state. Now, the founder of this movement was Sardar Kishan Singh Gargaji. and one thing that needs to be noticed is that most of the babbars were from dwaba true so we had kishan singh gargaji we had his companions dr bakshi singh uh, i don't believe dr bakshi singh nijar was actually involved in this uh, tanna singh and uh, ratan singh babbar who only today we are learning about see because what i'm getting it is that ratan singh babbar was one of the foremost intellectuals of the movement as well he was also a writer as well as a you know intellectual as well as a fighter so ratan singh was the one based on whose works we are actually you know learning about the real babbars and not the babbars as they are made out to be you know like patriots who died for you know the contemporary indian pakistan state the babbars we are learning about are the ones you know from contemporary ratan singh they were individuals who foremost aimed to restore sikh sovereignty while inspiring the rest of india to do the same so that was what their main foremost aim was and that's from ratan singh babbar's uh, uh writings as well but then there is other uh, evidence as well now trial number 2 of 1924 judgment page 132 written by dr bakshi singh nijar history of the babbar kalis Now when this book came out in 1987 obviously you know given what the situation was like in the 80s many of these uh pieces of Sikh literature or you know works of Sikh literature were never uh were never picked up in mass by our people uh I can sort of relate uh percussions of history and other such you know uh documents or you know explanations of what Sikhi is and the Sikh context of history and you know movements like the Babbar Kalis these were never picked up and read by the people because there was a fight going on for their daily survival obviously given what the situation was back then true however if you look at what bakshi singh nijar did was he actually you know went and tracked down those original documents now what the judgment on trial number 2 of 1924 was when you know the babbars were finally caught out by the british it's the evidence summarized at some length proves beyond a shadow of doubt the existence of a dangerous revolutionary conspiracy aimed at the ultimate subversion of the british rule 
in the establishment of a Sikh Raj in the Punjab. Now note that establishment of a Sikh Raj in the Punjab and Swaraj self-rule in India. Steady propaganda of this nature would have soon influenced the Sikhs into a belief that their loyalty had been misplaced and that the time had come to set in context the sword against the enemies of the Khalsa and re-established Sikh Raj in the Punjab. So that was, you know, aspect one of the judgment, which the judge actually got from interviewing the Babbars. Now, another one was this movement, Babbar Kali was anti-imperialists and it cherished the dream of Swaraj self-rule in India as a reaction to the dismal failure of the peaceful Guruka Bagh Morcha and other peaceful Sikh agitations. It emerged as a militant and violent protest against the multi-faced exploitation of Indians by the British government. This movement gave a new base of life to the militant nationalism in the Punjab by proclaiming its abiding faith in the creed of armed uh, revolution. Now, to note that first uh, statement about Sikh Raj and the Punjab and the second one are obviously, uh, if you look at the book in question, they're always together. They're one statement. So you can see that the Babur's foremost aim was in liberating the Punjab and restoring Khalsa Raj. True. It was the primary aim, and uh, they were not too concerned about what, what was happening in Bihar or UP or CP or down south. No, they weren't. And their foremost aim, I guess, was that, you know, if we can liberate the Punjab, we can work towards liberating the rest of India. But, you know, the rest of India would have had to move itself to uh, free itself because if the Sikhs were, you know, fighting to free themselves, then it was all the more important that other communities not rely on them, but do something themselves. Now, the original name of the Babbar Akali movement was Shahadat Dal. And Shahadat Dal really, in, you know, Punjabi terminology means a collection of martyrs. So you could see that from their uh, first uh, birth, they were aware of what the consequences of the acts they were about to commit would be, but they still accepted it. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. And uh, you also have to remember that uh, a lot of them were returning to India from Canada and America, yeah? Yep, there was a lot of racism over there. And I mean, even today, it's you can see it's evident that, you know, when someone tells you to go back to your country, <laughs> you end up thinking, what country? Well, if, you, if, if you're born in America or Canada and somebody tells you to go back, so where do I go back? I can only <laughs> go back to my hometown. Yep, there's that uh, Just Rain video where they have him coming out and uh, he's actually playing himself as a racist and the guy tells him to go back to his country and he turns around and says, oh, I was born here. And the guy says, Merry Christmas and runs off. <laughs> well, okay. So, so since they, were, uh, they had returned from Canada and America, <clears throat> some of them, well, most of them voluntarily. Yep. It, it wasn't out of compulsion that uh, we were not allowed to bring our families or you were not allowed to get married or something, so they, they had to return or something now? Yes, yes. There, there were a lot so, of these so uh, the, rules. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So they were very aware of what could happen if they fought the, the English Empire. They knew mm -hmm. American history. It was everywhere around them. And they knew what was at risk and what could they lose. Mm -hmm. So, so, the, so there were people who were aware aware of what was happening in the world, and they saw armed struggle as the best way to reestablish the Khalsaraj and gain independence. See, one thing I'd comment down here is that in the C credo which the Babbers picked up. Now, of course, that uh, Doctor Bakshi Singh Nidhu clarifies that what the British had done was they had neutered Sikhi, so they presented a Sikhi which was basically Santamath type Sikhi, you know, and they remarked that the Babbers were following Khalsa Sikhi, original Sikhi, authentic Sikhi, as envisioned by the Gurus, as envisioned by Guru Nanak Dev. 
And the Bubbers practically picked up, you know, what we can then say was original, authentic Sikhi. Now, it's amazing today, isn't it, that the people who dismiss the Bubbers as another uh, movement, as another nationalist movement, are foremost Sikhs. And look at the arguments they make that, you know, their uh, perception of Sikhi was westernized when it wasn't westernized at all. Yeah, sure, you're in foreign nations. And this is what Baba Vasaka Singh of the Gadar movement uh, clarified, the Gadar party. Yes, we were in the United States. Yes, we were in Canada. Yes, we were in Europe. Yes, their histories inspired us to some degree. But the foremost principle which convinced us to pick up arms against the British Empire, that was the Sikh principle of dignity. That's essentially what empowered us to do it. I mean, otherwise, if you read history books, how many revolutions do you think really start because people read history books? Nothing happens like that. It's only when you have that conviction, that principle within you to liberate yourself and your people, that's when you start looking at history for examples, for strategies, for tactics, to be able to do what happened then today. But those principles can't be taken from within history itself. They, they need to be born within you. Yep. They need to, need to be born within you and uh, you got to imbibe them. You have to imbibe them. Now, if you look at the bubbers, so now who do we have in the bubbers? Now, here's the important thing. So we have Master Mota Singh, Kishan Singh, Amar Singh, Tota Singh, Peshwariya, Gurbachan Singh, Bhuta Singh. These were the guys who came back from Canada. Then what's amazing is that, you know, Kishan Singh Gargaj was the Jathedar, but Kishan Singh Gargaj was the Jathedar of the working committee. So now the bubbers had, you know, a two-way... Uh, hierarchy so you know at the front line at the bottom were all the fighters so you know the guys with the guns the gun runners and all that then there was a centralized leadership so this leadership was led by Kishan Singh Gargaj as Jathedar, Dalip Singh Gosal as secretary and Baba Santa Singh as treasurer so then what happened was that they decided to publish a newspaper called Babbar Akali Dwaba Kwar with Sardar Karam Singh Dolat appointed as editor so if you look at it this way the Babbers actually, and this is, you know, something we don't learn today, obviously. Now, what we learn today is that the Babbers were some, you know, hot-headed young men who picked up guns. That is far from the truth. They actually thought this out. They established a propaganda arm to counter the British propaganda arm, as well as, you know, uh, establishing an armed militant arm to fight the British authorities on their own terms. Well, uh, if if you read uh, what's available in India at this moment, you you will find out that the Gadri Babas were socialists. And that's something I'll like to say. Something no, sorry, I'll like. Sorry. To, yes. Uh, not Gadri Babas. Uh, well, of, of course, Gadri Babas as well. But that's the propaganda. But Babas were also socialists. See, what's funny is that uh, Gurmukh Singh Lal Toa, who was the last Gadarite Baba to die, the last original one. If you go to his village, you can clarify this matter down there as well. Bhagat Singh Bilga and the Kirti Kisan Union who later came into the Gadar movement, they did nothing. They didn't pick up a gun even once. They stayed behind while the others kept on fighting. And at the end, when all the others died, or you know, like Baba Gurmukh Singh, they grew old and senior and were in the minority, this other lot came forward and started rewriting history. And uh, Sardar Ajmer Singh, historian, has done quite a lot of uh, excellent work on this. And I was listening to one of his videos, and he was saying that 
there are two ways to suppress a people or, you know, wipe out a people's history. The first one is you do it through force, which doesn't work, which necessarily does not work. So the second way to do it is to celebrate that people's history. Now, a foremost example here would be that even today, when people go to partake of Khande Bhatte Damrit, many ablakis are given a book in India by Lala Dolatrai called Sahib Kamal Guru Gobind Singh. And I'm sure you've heard about this book. I have. And if you read this book, now many of our pracharaks, our preachers will, you know, stand up on stage and quote from it. However, if you look at the treatment of Guru Gobind Singh here, Dolat Rai is basically arguing that this man was a patriot. He had everyone, uh, he had his family sacrificed for the motherland. He died for the motherland. The motherland is supreme. And that essentially the Sikh identity is only made to preserve the motherland. So basically, in a few words, he's saying that Sikhs are cannon fodder. Can we accept Guru Gobind Singh as being a patriot when he had a humanist vision for the entire humanity? Well, when you say the word patriot, you mean under the tricolor? Uh, yes, that's how Lala Dolat represented it. Yeah, no, we've we got to be clear about that. And that's where... How the where I'm getting it is this is how the bubbers were changed. So many of these rewriters of history started coming to their villages, started celebrating their lives. They would get up on stage and say, "Look, these people were patriots. These people were patriots. They fought for you know the motherland." Our people would be down there clapping, and whenever someone like Sardar Kapoor Singh or Harjinder Singh Dalgir would you know forewarn them against allowing such appropriation to continue, our people would shout them down. Until today, now they're they waking up to realize something, that the Babbers are a footnote in history. That entire history they had, the real history has been wiped out. And now they don't even know what the Babbers were really fighting for, that the Babbers fought for an independent Punjab foremost. Well, they are categorized under the Indian uh, independence struggle, not the Punjabi struggle. And that's the thing. There were two different struggles going on, the Punjabi independence struggle, and then there was the... Indian independence struggle, two different things altogether. Yeah, and you also have to remember that uh, all people who were executed for well, various crimes well, by the English and who were sent to the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, popularly known as uh, uh, Kalapani. Yes. They didn't went there as pro-India independence fighters. They, were, they went there primarily as a pro, pro-Sikh and pro-Punjabi pro independence fighters. Mm -hmm. No, that's right. That's right. I mean, uh, Sardar Kapoor Singh actually managed to track down a poem they used to sing down there. Uh, it was based on the Raj Gurega Khalsa. One Raj Gurega Khalsa, that was actually said by Guru Gobind Singh in the Tanakh Nama, and uh, later it was copied down by, by Prahlad Rai. The foremost person to copy it down was by Nandalal, then by Prahlad Rai. Obviously, Gyani Gyan Singh altered it to call Guru Granth Sahib a day, only an uh, idol. But uh, in reality, what they used to sing down there, if I remember from the top of my head, is Raj Kurega Khalsa Ki Rahina Koi Bethe Dili Takht Pe Khalsa Pant Ki Khoj Karege Sab Moj. That's what they used to sing down there, the Gaddari Babes and all the prisoners on the Andaman and Nicobar Island Super Sikhs. Yeah, and uh, 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 there is a point to be made here that even even today, worldwide, Sikhs just cry out that we gave like 80% or 90% of the sacrifices for the, for the Indian independence. They have to correct themselves. They do have to correct themselves because this was another appropriation of their history which happened.
Yep, we made a point about it and we have to give an example, which I just did. So yeah, <laughs> better explain this way. <laughs> yep. Now, the foremost reason for the Babur's existence, now obviously we have covered that as well. So they decided that they would argue in some individuals so there was a hit list which was circulated at the time and foremost on them was the toadies or the stooges who were uh, informing the British about Sikh activities. Then they uh, decided to target people who they felt were responsible for the, you know, massacre at Nankana side. So uh, first on the list was Mr. C.M. King, the commissioner of Lahore. Then came J.W. Bearing, the superintendent of police. Mahant, Devi Das and Basanta Das, Sundar Singh Majitia and Kartar Singh Bedi. Uh, I've actually actually uh, read some notes or some texts preserved by a Babur family, well, uh, his descendants. Yes. Uh, there comes a word called Safed Posh. Have you, have you, have you ever heard of it? Uh, no. So in their understanding, the way they explained to me was Safed Posh was a person, a designated person in, in, in let's say, a village or a city or a town hmm. who, who was the eyes and ears of the government or maybe the, the intelligence department. Okay, so like a tout, really. Yeah, yeah. you could, could, could say that. Or you could say uh, like a, a secret agent or a spy. Yep. So he would keep an eye on whatever is happening or any rebellious activities or criminals or robbers or anything. And they would receive a large, how do we say, donation of land in exchange? Pretty much anything they wanted, really. Yeah, some, something like that, yeah. So Bubbers actually actively hunted down these people. Mm-hmm. And, and they, were, they, weren't, uh, they weren't really clandestine about it. They were pretty... Uh, public about it as well, that, you know, what the consequences would be if you messed with the Sikhs. You have to remember, and this is not a very good thing to say, but it is, it's the truth, it happened. After the First World War and before even that, there were a lot of land grants to former soldiers and everything, yeah? Yes. So you had this greed that if I do something for the empire or if, if I, you know, if I rat out or if, if I snitch, I will receive a larger reward for it. Mm-hmm. So, so and, this is reality, uh, and yeah. a lot of people did that. And the Babbers uh, actively pursued these people and uh, put them to, to, to justice. And what's pretty uh, amazing as well is if you look at it again, is that, you know, Udham Singh was a carpenter and he was also a veteran of World War I. He was never given the land he was promised because he never actually uh, sucked up to the whites, as they would call it today. You know, that's how these things were happening. So Udham Singh never got it. And Udham Singh, in a way, was actually inspired by the Babbers, and so was Bhagat Singh. If you look at Bhagat Singh's writings, he's very, 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 very worshipful of the Babbers. And this is quite surprising because Bhagat Singh, it said, was an atheist. Now, of course, he was an atheist, but he never spoke against Sikhi. If you look at his writings, he's never anti-Sikh in any of them. Uh I, I, I wouldn't be too sure about this this exact topic because there's way too much misinformation about this. Yes. But I do have to remember that the village he hails from, Katkatakala and Namasha. Yes. Up until the 1940s, they were Hindus, not Sikhs. Oh, okay, yep. But And then if you look at it, 
from Bhagat, Bhagat Singh's writings, the inspiration he'd read from the Babbar Akalis, the Babbars were all Gursikh Amritaris. Yeah, true. And one of their things was that if the gun failed, our Kirpan won't fail. That was something else they used to say among themselves. True. So, by 1921, this movement had pretty much reached such a massive peak that the British were so scared of it that they actually used to, what the British used to do now was that, you know, during the Chotaka Lukara, all the higher caste Hindus and all the like Muslims of Punjab had come out and they had actually plied the, you know, uh, Jaspatrai or Lakhpatrai, whichever one had survived his forces with alcohol and with garlands, money and women when they were uh, persecuting the Sikhs, chasing the Sikhs. Such was the scenario which was repeated from 1921 up till 1922 when the British started, uh, you know, dropping money and leaflets from aeroplanes, targeting such people to, uh, you know, instigate them against the Babbars. Yep, it all happened. And uh, the, there were both covert and uh, overt activities. So overt was dropping leaflets, increasing the police patrols and other things. And covert were must have a lot of things that we probably don't know about. Now, what was amazing as well was that on the same hand, the Babbars had their own counterparts. So in villages, you know, Babbars would hold very insightful meetings where they would, uh, you know, criticize the state openly and then disappear. And then, you know, regarding the leaflets, they would come up with their own counterpoints and distribute those leaflets as well. And there was a time when if you were caught with such a leaflet, you would pretty much be shot dead in the Punjab by the British police. There was such fear of the Babaratalis. And, uh, well, of course, uh, a lot of Babaratalis, if they were too dangerous, they were simply killed in an encounter. They were not taken to the court. No, 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 no due process. Of, yep, and that was one of the things which was actually uh, pointed out as well by the British um that the Babarakalis, the most dangerous ones, could not be allowed to go to court. There, they would actually use the system to incite even more people. So what had to happen was that the dangerous ones had to be killed outright. And that's how uh, touts were actually, uh, you know, trained to infiltrate the movement. Yep, this is a very important point. Their impact was yep. so heavy that they had to be killed mm. on site. On site. Now... One thing which I've always been wondering is, you know, why would someone become a tout? What do you think? Well, the very first thing is greed. Yep. And the second point might be to save somebody else. Hmm. No, I'm, I'm telling you this based on what happened in the 80s. Yep. So you would say, okay, we will save your brother or your father or blah, blah, blah. Give us this person. Hmm. You, know, you, you have to remember how, how so many of them ex escaped India. There's got, got to be some deal hmm. happening. And this happened during the Babarakali era as well, didn't it? I mean, if I remember correctly, the man who betrayed Pagat Singh, uh, Hansaraj Vora, I think that was his name, up till 2009 or 10 when he was alive, he was actually living in the United States. In over 80 years, he never returned to India after he betrayed them. He actually discussed his, uh, you know, future chances with the British government, and they actually had him transported to the United States. And he used to live in Washington until tight under tight security until his last days. This is uh, mentioned in Kaldeep Nair's book, Without Fear. 
and and the other guy who ratted him out was shot dead i think in 1980 by uh, ranjit singh uh, the, the same guy who i, who I think killed the uh, uh, you know the narankari chief yes i'm not really sure about that point because this is the first time i'm hearing it now coming back to the babbarakalis these touts one of them anup singh actually cost them their uh, initial men so due to him many of their uh, you know initial uh, the initial crop of militants was felled and most often what used to happen was that either the babbars used to return home or either they used to stop over somewhere in the middle of the night and many of these santamat figures were also involved in betraying them so you know the babbars for example some would go to a gurdwara their food would be poisoned they would be you know sort of fed or given something in their food and drink which would you know make them go to sleep and then their weapons would be taken away so and one thing which needs to be remembered is that uh when you were a babbar akali you didn't go to anyone's house just like that for food and drink no no you went to a you went to a trusted individual's house or otherwise you went hungry and thirsty and many of these trusted individuals were the ones who started betraying them well this is this is what happens you know with any movement people people turn against you for ma- for many reasons now one of the foremost things in my mind is like when i'm writing that book on his sikh history is that you know somewhere along the way eventually i actually want to discuss these traitors you know find out what compelled them to betray you know people like this now if you look at the you know american revolution we have studies on what compelled people to betray the patriots to the you know british but in the sikh context whenever we are successful the traitors are rubbed out from our history except we need to preserve the traitors name and their role in history to understand why people betray such movement especially sikh led movements and if we do we can always prepare preemptively for the future when or if such a movement arises its leaders can study from the past and see how to preserve themselves in the future uh, yep 100% true and uh, you know when you when you make the point that the traitors are doubted and only the winners are celebrated hmm that is true and uh, i'll give you an example yes how many people do actually know about the the people who testified against bhagat singh and uh, and uh, rajguru sukhdev i don't think many people do i'll say probably maybe 1 in 10000 mhm so you just celebrated your your quote unquote hero or heroes yes. and then you totally forgot about the people who who worked against them Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we have to remember. And, yeah. Yep. The people I mean, the, the betray the the subverters the all these subversion processes and how it's carried out. It it it, mm-hmm. it it might be just just to save your business in the future, but you you have to know these things. You do, you do. I mean, one of the things is that you know we were discussing the situation with a few other individuals, and they were asking how can we make the Babbarakalis relevant today. Now, if you look at something, I recently finished reading a book on you know business leadership, uh, leadership in private enterprise. Now, you would think that the figures they would use in that book would be you know individuals like Elon Musk, or you know Jeff Bezos, or you know people with the 
entrepreneurial uh, business background. Now, the discussion in that book, those narratives focused on 100 leaders who we can emulate today in the world or, you know, in the private sector. You would be surprised to know that they had figures ranging from people like George Washington to Genghis Khan to Alexander the Great, you know, such diverse personalities. Now, the Sikh mind is such today is that we are stuck in stereotypes. If someone says, what lessons can we take from Guru Gobind Singh's life? The first thing we will say is when enough is enough, it is right here to raise the sword. How many Sikhs do you think will turn around and say that, you know, Guru Gobind Singh was a man who let off steam by, you know, compiling, uh, you know, uh, literary works. He was a musician. He uh, learned how to sing. He sang, he wrote, he composed. And who knows, maybe Maharaj was an artist as well. You know, he, uh, he was a politician. He was an administrator. He was a leader. I mean that he was an individual with a diverse range of experiences and proficiencies. Yep. And, and while, yep. And while no Sikh can become a guru today, Gurbani tells us that these templates which they established, we can emulate in our lives today. So now, you know, if someone's focusing on going to a foreign country looking for a job 24-7, they need to, you know, let off steam, write their thoughts down, or, you know, Focus on something else to clear up their mind. Now, how was Guru Gobind Singh able to remain tension-free? He never allowed his mind to be cluttered by one thing over and over again. And that's that holds true for any Sikh leader. Even Kishan Singh Gargaj and, you know, Master Mota Singh, they wouldn't solely have focused on, you know, today we are going to kill him, today we are going to kill him, tomorrow we are going to kill him. They would have done other activities besides that as well. So to make these individuals relevant again, I would say that we need such material which actually influences us, inspires us, instructs us to take the salient lessons from their lives, their habits, and implement them today. Yep. We, well, the, the very first thing is we have to learn leadership skills from them. Yes, that's the thing. Now, if you look at Kishan Singh Gargaj, Kishan Singh Gargaj was a Jatedar. He was, he's the one who came to be you know, popularly associated with the Babarakalis. Except he divided the roles between everyone. You know, there was an action chief. There was, you know, an action committee. There was a committee, uh, you know, identifying targets. And the way the bubbers operated was that, you know, you had one cell. If one cell was wiped out, a surviving member would head to another location and he could establish another cell and so forth. So it was like a hydra pattern. You really couldn't cut one head off and say it was destroyed. And this structuralism... All this could only come from a very educated and inspired mind. Oh, well, someone, and well someone who, yep. An educated and well-informed mind. Someone who had sat down and thought out all the possibilities rather than making an impulsive on-the-spot decision. So it's... Now, it's it's, yes. it's, the, it's the habit of, how do I say, in, in very plain words, of doing a cost-benefit analysis. Pretty much. And it necessarily does not have to, you know, hinge around money. Now, of course, finances were an important part of the Babarak Ali movement, and they had many patrons as well. But another thing which just came into my mind is that today in the military, if two soldiers have a dispute, there is a mechanism for, you know, resolving their issues with each other. There is a mediation service. There is a counseling service. Now, if you look at the bubbers, if the bubbers had any issues between themselves, 
They would have needed a mechanism to solve those as quickly as possible because by no means could they go public with them, otherwise the game would be up. True. So, you know, today the Babrakalis are stereotyped as these men with guns. Now, of course, we can you know, keep on relating their history. Everyone knows their history. You can look it up on the net as well. It's the main technicalities which we need to get down to. And that is that they weren't only men with guns. They were men with brains. Well, if, if you pull a trigger without a brain, then you, you just, uh, sorry, what's the correct word for it? A henchman. A henchman, pretty much a yes man, a henchman. Yeah. And, you know, what's so amazing today is that the Babarakalis have been, you know, glorified in songs and tadivars. How many times does, you know, anyone get together, like, you know, the Sangat gets together and the preacher says that, you know, Fine, then we know they were brave, they did this, they did that, but has anyone considered what they thought? How they used to think, what their thinking process was? No. Nope. Now, nope, no one has done that so far. And I mean, if they did, there's, you know, that individual, um, that girl from the States who messaged us last time told us that, you know, if people started talking about the Kalis and Gurdwaras, the snowflakes would go out of business pretty much. That's exactly what would happen if, you know, today's preachers start, you know, talking about the Babarakali's insights. Well, uh, uh, the last point you made, uh, them going out of business, this seems to be the primary problem of today. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree as well. Now, you know, I've only been to one Gurdwara in my life where they have pictures of the Babarakalis and books on the Babarakalis. Otherwise, there is no mention of the Babarakalis, but, you know, all the figures who were associated with the British, but who led them away from, you know, revolution and fighting for their rights towards, you know, more meditative practices. And it actually surprises me that, that let's say, outside India, all the Gurdwaras, even they hmm. don't have it. What's talking them? No, that's the thing. I mean... Today, we had, when the Six Shrouds poster went up, people were asking, who are these men? Yeah, unfortunately, not, not many people know about them. And, uh, okay, it wasn't just the Shrouds that that uh, these people went through? It's, it's not like you, you yep. got killed and uh, your bodies were returned to your relatives for a funeral. No. There were disappearances people never found. That's right. There were, that's right. Families never found families disappearing, individuals disappearing, even on suspicion. You know, I mean, my grandfather was telling me that there was a period when in Dwaba and some of these villages, the British actually banned Amrit Sanchars. The Babbers were so successful in enlightening uh, Amrit Sanchars with their movement because the Babbers were hardcore Gursikhs. You had to be an Amrit Tari, five Netanemi Sikh, to be able to join the Babbarakalis. Now, Someone would ask you that, you know, what's the point? You know, why would someone judge Gurbani, you know, how much Gurbani you read? Now, here's the thing. If you wake up every morning, make your bed, do your personal hygienic practices, sit down and do Gurbani, and then go do whatever you want to. If you do this every morning, it indicates you have discipline and resolve. Right? Yeah. And that was the foremost test for the Babbers. They had understood one of the primary purposes beyond Rehet. And anyone who kept Rehet was able to uh, weather the discipline they imposed upon them to make them a Babbar. 
this is one of the, one of the lessons that I've, I had read a long time ago that people who are not disciplined cannot be trusted, and I, I, I never fully understood that. No, and that's the thing. Now, yesterday I was reading a book by uh, Admiral, you know, William H. McRaven. Uh, he's retired from the U.S. Navy as a SEAL, and he was actually the commander of the mission which finally netted Saddam Hussein when they attacked Iraq. Now, McRaven describes this, uh, you know, scenario which used to happen with them in SEAL training that, you know, the organizers used to tell them to become sugar cookies. And by sugar cookies, what it meant was that you ran into the, you know, ocean, the surf, and you pretty much rolled around in the sand until the sand was down. All your organs, orifices, all over your uniform, eyes, you were basically coated in sand. And this used to happen in the morning, so usually until midnight, you used to stay in that dirty, putrid state. Now, many individuals used to be given the sugar cookie treatment just for the sake of it. So, you know, the instructor would come along and see they could do all the press-ups, push-ups, everything, and they would say, okay, yep, go become a sugar cookie. Sugar cookie day one, sugar cookie day two, sugar cookie day three. Sometimes you were a sugar cookie for the whole week without having a bath in between. And now most people thought this was a punishment, you know, that we have done something wrong. That's why we are becoming sugar cookies. But essentially the thing was that, you know, the instructors could see that you had the basic discipline. They wanted to see whether you could withstand the discipline they imposed upon you if your own personal discipline was strong enough. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's largely psycholo uh, psychological and less physical at that stage of the training. And that is what, you know, Gurbani calls Simran. Now, Simran and Gurbani is a Japa Jap. Now, a Japa Jap means that which you can't Jap. So there is the consistency of a Jap, but it isn't, you know, with the tongue at all. Guru Nanak tells us that, you know, his Simran can't be done with the tongue. So what that Simran is, that Simran is based on discipline. And Sikhi Simran is discipline. So what usually happens down here is that, you know, if you were a Babarakali and you were able to get up in the morning, do your Panjabaniya, you know, tie your turban on very tight, keep your weapons, you know, about you and accept death and do what your commanders told you to do. No matter what happened, whenever you got the opportunity, you would also clean out your weapon to keep fighting for the next day. Now, imagine an undisciplined force. You don't have clean weapons. I mean, this is what Washington discovered early on in his career. Having an undisciplined force would effectively curtail any advantages you have. Small British platoons used to be able to beat up his battalions because his battalions were so indisciplined. Yep. True. And, and you also have to remember <laughs> the Washington's raid on the uh, Christmas night, crossing the yes. uh, Delaware. Mm -hmm. All the mercenaries were not disciplined and they were blind drunk. Washington just came in, captured them, captured all the supplies and he went back victorious. <laughs> Pretty much. And if you look at uh, Sherman during the Civil War, this was something Sherman actually did. His army was usually outnumbered maybe by 10 to 1 or even 20 to 1 at times. But when he actually went into the South, he had such a strong disciplined force with him that, you know, the Southerners were just surprised, just, you know, petrified at the distances he was able to cover because, you know, he was able to lead his men, but the men were leadable because they had that strong discipline. Now, Sherman is mentioned in that book I was telling you about as well, you know, his uh, consistency, his grit, his determination. 
The same lessons can be found in great men throughout history, like Sardar Kishan Singh, Gargaj Master Mota Singh. All these lessons we can apply in our lives today to become leaders. But I think the main thing down here is that the leadership the Babbers did was a true leadership. They were you know, willing to sacrifice everything they had for the greater good. We know that if you get to that stage, would we be able to do that? Probably not. And we chicken out. We become cowards rather than, you know, admitting that we are cowards and working to perfect ourselves. So uh, let's move towards uh, discussing why this movement subsided or let's say imploded in some sense. Yes. So basically we know that by the time, by this time now, moving on to 1922, 1923, this movement was near reaching its end. So to be honest, if I remember correctly, by 19, by late 1923, this movement was virtually finished from the Punjab, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very short one. By 1925, let's give it two more years. So by 1925, it was pretty much finished from the Punjab. And I guess there were some prominent incidents. If you look at uh, December 12th, 1923, Mandahir village, if I am saying it correctly, uh, in Jalandhar. Now, quiet evening on December 12th, 1923 in the village. Villagers were unaware of what was happening, but only a few days ago, Jagat Singh of the same village had been arrested in connection with possessing a revolver gifted to him by, you know, Hazara Singh, uh, who was also uh, one of the, you know, uh, partners of Kishan Singh Gargaj. And the British threatened him that there would be trouble if he did not assist them in, you know, arresting the rest of the Babbar. So they wanted him to betray them. So they knew that Jagat Singh was, you know, friends with Banta Singh, Tamiya, Varyam Singh, Tugga, and Jwala Singh, Fatehpur Koti. So what happened was that as these Babbars arrived, Jagat Singh decided to turn traitor and he informed Constable Udham Singh, not the Udham Singh who shot at why did, but another Udham Singh who was stationed near his home, what was happening. And Udham Singh actually was disguised, so he passed the information on to the British police. And the British surrounded that village. So the individuals who surrounded the village, uh, Jalandhar Deputy Commissioner C.W. Jacob, as well as cavalry troops. So the army and the police were both involved. Now, for the Babbarakalis, what happened was that, you know, they were surrounded. So three Babbarakalis, they were surrounded on all sides. And they ran to the center of the village where there was a Mata Jini. And she was actually cutting sag in her house, and she asked the Babbars to hide inside the house. And the Babbars told her that, look, we just want to, you know, get on top of your house. We are going to fight the enemy. Or otherwise, what will happen is that you guys will be wiped out if you hide. And I think, I believe that by now, they probably had over 1,000, you know, armed personnel surrounding the village. So what happened was that the DC shouted to the Babbars, you know, drop your weapon, surrender and we will pardon your lives if you betray the others. And this lot told them, the trio told them that no, we won't. So the encounter started, you know, British had machine guns and the Bubbers just had pocket pistols. They even set the Chubara on fire, but the Bubbers just kept on fighting, fighting, fighting. And then, you know, as the Chubara became a flame, Banta, uh, Banta Singh ran out and so did the others. And, you know, they got hit by bullets, they were burnt. And, you know, as Banta Singh was down on the ground, uh, Togal, who was actually down on the ground, 
or Banta Singh, I mean, my sources are very sketchy on this. What happened was that, yes, Banta Singh actually asked Tugga to shoot him dead, that he did not want to be arrested by the police because, you know, he might be, you know, compelled to speak up. And that's what Tugga did. Tugga shot him dead. And while Tugga managed to escape, Chihuahua Singh kept on fighting till the end. So he actually held off the British while Tugga managed to escape. So if you look at it from here on, these traitors who started betraying them, these were the secondary crop of militants who had joined out of, uh, you know, not passion, not any, uh, you know, cool-minded acceptance, but really for personal fame, just like in the days of Bandar Singh Bahadur, many individuals became Sikhs, but when the going got hard, they decided to betray Sikhi and Bandar Singh. Yep. It, it doesn't cost much to be patriot when the war has already been won. That's right. And if you look at Maharaja Ranjit Singh's days, why Sikhi was nearly extinguished was the fact that, you know, Maharaja Ranjit Singh had invited, like under him, Sikhs reached such a prominence that they forgot to articulate any, you know, effective mechanism for checking the loyalty and the authenticity of any, you know, converts coming to the faith. When the British came, these converts decided to revert back to their old faith straight away and pay fiddle, uh, play fiddle to the British. Yep, true. And since we have uh, discussed uh, uh, these things before, uh, uh, okay. Uh, do you watch YouTube and there's a channel called Punjabi Leher? Uh, yes, I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. I'll be honest here. <laughs> okay, okay. The, the guy over there is, is called Nasir Tallo. Yep. He's originally from the village Panjwar in the Maja area, a very famous village. Uh, yes, very notorious as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. And he says very openly that this, his family converted from Sikhi to Islam in 1820. Yep. So you have to remember the number of opportunists that there were. Mm-hmm. And that's getting back to our original point that, you know, we need to study the history of these opportunists to avoid such, you know, incidents in the future. It needs to be studied. It needs to be studied deeply and from original sources, as, as many are available. And it needs to be studied with an open mind. That You, you don't go in with, with preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Now, by 1925, all the Babbers had been caught, the original ones, so they had been killed. Now, this is a massive history, and, you know, we can't make this episode voluminous by just, you know, going into, you know, so much internal detail. I mean, if people want to go into so much detail, then this is an avenue of Sikh history, which is very fertile for new research. So that needs to be pursued as well. All we can do is just relate, inspire, and discuss. I mean, in an hour, we can't really give everything, you know, like every minor detail about the Babbers. Anyhow. Okay. Uh, fifth, yes. Could there be any families in, in, let's say, primarily Canada or America who have, who had their, let's say, relatives who go to India and fight as Babbers? Well, I mean, initially we did give the name of those uh, six or seven who did come back from Canada. So maybe their descendants are alive in Canada, if that's what we are getting it. Well, there might be some records there or something. Maybe some old photos, maybe some, some handwritten notes. Could be anything. And who really betrayed them? 
Well, that might be hard to track down because they moved when they moved to India when they did what they did and uh, the treason happened here. So they did not have the opportunity to return back to Canada or America and to write down what happened. There might there be a might examples, be, we don't know. Yep. So that is an avenue of research which is worth pursuing. Now, on the issue of Pagat Singh, now, when he was comrade Pagat Singh, a Punjabi youth, he actually wrote this anonymously as a Punjabi youth, and he had this published in Pratap Hindi Weekly on 15th March 1926. Now, he was recounting what happened on 27th February 1926. Kishan Singh Gargaj, Santa Singh, Dalip Singh, Nanda Singh, Karam Singh, and Taram Singh. Six bubbers, they were hanged in Lahore, six shrouds for six bubbers. Now, what had happened was that for the past two years, a trial had been running in the courts. They had, you know, shown it great indifference. Uh, Kishan Singh Gargaj was on, you know, record saying that we will ask for nothing from the British who suppress us and who only, you know, give us the candy of progression to show to the world that there are some glorious angelic beings when in reality they're the worst of tyrants. And what's amazing is that when the judge gave his verdict, he only gave the verdict for five to be hanged. Countless others, numbering in maybe hundreds or two hundreds, they were, you know, given life imprisonment or exiled to the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. Now, the life imprisonment ones who were in India, they were, you know, eventually released or, you know, they fought for their release. The ones exiled overseas, they never saw the light of the sun again. They died down there, they were buried down there or cremated down there, whatever the authorities did with their remains. Now, when the verdict was given for five to be hanged, one of the men who was finally let go, who was, you know, identified as being part of the core bubber nucleus, he, I can't remember whether that was Karam Singh or Taram Singh, he lodged an appeal. Now, here's the thing about this appeal. When, when the Board of Appeals, you know, read his appeal, his statement, they called him in front of them. Now, you know, this is also a good lesson for the listeners. Sukha Singh and Matab Singh, when they went to slay Masaranga, there were many ups and downs, but they never left each other's side. The Saibjadas never left each other's side. Bota Singh and Garja Singh never left anyone, uh, each other's side. And we have examples from our recent history as well, that when there was a duo, two individuals or more, many did not leave each other's sides, even if they had the option to. And this appeal was that, you know, if the other five are being hanged, I want to be hanged with them. Can you imagine the spirit, the josh, the passion, the sicky which that individual would have had to say that? So he, he chose not to live. He's no, like, he chose not to live. Yeah. Uh, that's a massive sacrifice that uh, I'm not too sure that even I can make when I'm just a normal individual. No. Imagine what would have gone through, you know, the British and the British uh, government's mind at the time that, you know, if these individuals are like this, that we hand them the keys, we open the doors and tell them, look, there's the bright sunlight, off you go, out you go, forget about this, you know, state, stage of your life, forget about those five inside, and you still turn around and say this, then, you know, they would have thought something. They would have thought that all this started from one man 200 to 300 years ago called Nanak. From Nanak, it went to Angad, Amardas, Ramdas, Arjan, Hargobind, 
Harai, Harkishan, Teg Bahadur, and Gobind Singh. Imagine how dangerous those men must be. Somehow or the other, we need to continue suppressing Sikhi, if not openly, then very secretively, because we can't have men like this rise in the future as well. Because these men were going to serve as an inspiration for a future rebellion. For a future rebellion, for a future restoration of the Khal Saraj. Now, imagine if such honesty is in government today. Such dedication, such honesty are in the corporate sector today. I mean, imagine if these six had been at the head of the corporate sector in, you know, around 2008. Would we have had the financial crisis, which actually came out of, you know, many of these massive companies just lying and making up figures? Well, they always do that. And sometimes things get out of hand. And and that's why, you know, Sikhi is called, you know, Kandiyotakivalo Niki. Now, that Shabbat of Guru Amar Das could be dismissed as being a meditative Shabbat, but reality is that the Babbars actually showed what he was saying. They gave a practical example. So they walked on a path finer, they're the, finer than the hair, sharper than the blade. And look at the conviction that on 27th February 1926, that appeal was accepted and six were decided to be hanged. And while Holi was being celebrated outside, all six were hanged inside. And that was the end of the Babarakalis. They left the mark on history and they chose to go with their heads held high. Now, amazingly enough, the ones who came from Canada and the States and, you know, Europe, they had obviously, you know, been given access to information about history and many other things. Now, the ones in India, Kishan Singh Gargaj, he resigned from the British, you know, military at the time. And he had a pretty good job, quite a powerful job, you know. And he was also going to get a pension. Master Mota Singh, Master Mota Singh also, you know, resigned from his post as well, you know, as a government instructor that he can't instruct, you know, kids in accepting tyranny. And one of the things about, you know, being a leader today is that you also have to notice information which you aren't given easily. Look at, you know, Master Mota Singh and, you know, Kishan Singh Gargaj. You know, Kishan Singh Gargaj would have been told that, you know, any revolutionary he would have fought in the past, these people are evil, you need to bring them down. But it takes a very special type of soldier to sit down and consider the orders and ask himself, am I being a henchman or am I being my own man? Yep, it takes a lot of brains as well. And all this, and, you know, one of the most shameful incidents is that the SGPC nucleus at the time issued an appeal to the Sikhs to uh, disassociate themselves from the Babbars. It links me to something else. Yes. Is this where the white suit clad Sikhi comes from? The white Chola one? Well, I mean, we discussed the Matab Singh Nirmala issue, and I guess this wasn't something which happened overnight. This would have been something which happened, you know, over a lengthy period of time. What I mean to say is that that when we say that that British the the English did a lot of stuff to make sure there was no, uh, to make sure that there was no other Sikh rebellion, so they diluted Sikh, just just peace loving people, just Nam Nam Japo Simran Guru, blah blah blah. There's no the revolutionary spirit was totally removed. Mm-hmm. The revolutionary spirit was totally removed. And, you know, this was actually solidified by the fact that they mistranslated Gurbani. Now, you know, Babarvani was, you know, mis, 
stated as being Babur Vani, that does not mention Babur even once in its Shabads. What it's really saying is that, you know, after seeing all this carnage and slaughter of humanity, all my mind, it's addressed to the human mind, don't you feel ashamed of yourself sitting here silent when you should be raising a voice? But look at how it's changed to say that, you know, Guru Nanak is saying to God that, oh my God, don't you feel ashamed that people are being killed and you're doing nothing? Man, yep. Mistranslations are everywhere. And I guess to restore the Babar spirit, the Babar Akali spirit, one needs to start reading Gurbani as they would have done it and seeing it as they would have seen it. They didn't read it just for the sake of it or to get divine blessings. They were the people who actually, you know, did their nickname in the morning, read their Kirtan Swela in the morning because they knew that night might never come for them. Well, well uh, we could say that they didn't just le uh, read and understood Gurbani, they lived Gurbani. They lived Gurbani. Now, Guru Arjun has this Shabbat, this uh, particular Shabbat that, you know, what he says is that I talk about fearlessness, I imbibe fearlessness. That's my Shabbat. So, you know, Kishans and Gargaj and the others, they essentially did what we can say was that if they talked the talk, they walked the walk. Talk to talk and walk to walk, yeah. And unfortunately, today, the Sikh leadership we have today and any aspect of Sikh life, whether it's in the Gurdwara, whether it's at home, or whether it's in educational circles, wherever they are, they do not have the spirit. To bring the spirit back, we need to make the Babbars relevant to you know, our everyday lives. Now, Babbars were fearless. How can we become fearless? Now, this doesn't mean that we pick up guns and kirpans and go on a you know, sanguinary war march, you know, bringing hell to whoever we consider to be the enemy. First thing we can do is by, you know, we can start off by telling the truth, by being truthful. That, you know, if I work in a company where the employee is lying to the boss, I'm going to tell the truth. Or if I'm working in a company where my morals are being stressed, then yes, I'm not going to work in that company anymore. It's about being your own man. Now, society never told the bubbers to pick up guns and go against the British. They did it themselves, independently. Yep. And... What a crying shame today that, you know, Sikhs are, you know, if, if today's Sikhs are, you know, actually banned by society. That's what I'm getting at, you know, parental uh, conventions, societal conventions. I mean, everything from birth to death is, you know, decided by a convention, which is against Gurbani. Gurbani tells you to develop your own conventions, be your own men. But surprisingly enough, we don't have that in the Sikhs today. Now, if someone wants to take any pertinent lessons from the Babarakalis, do not only read about them but also consider the small technicalities which made them what they were, who they were. We could say that uh, their sacrifice or their life and death, what happened in the end, was the end result. The build-up to that is what we need to study. The build-up is that. And then, only then we can, you know, acquire the fruits of their martyrdom. Yep, I agree with you there. All right, thank you for joining us. Until next week, Wahiguru Jika Khalsa.